I'm Paul Begarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore, and this is a very special episode of my Many Screens Big Picture Podcast. I'm so honored to have back on the show Matthew Jones, my dear friend and just an amazing actor working in this business today. And before the interview, I just want to give you a little taste of some of Matthew's on-screen work. This clip is from SWAT, which aired on CBS at the end of February of this year. The group is about 12 men strong, deals mainly in counterfeiting. The leader is David Nazaria. I know this guy. LAPD's been trying to build a case against him for a long time. Charges never seem to stick. Well, they will this time. We had an undercover embedded for six months gathering evidence. Eric Arkin, alias Alex Gaspard. He's pretty young to be an undercover. He's one of our best recruits. I can crack the ring's inner circle. Got invited to a meetup today when Azarian and seven of his men are going to be processing the latest batch of counterfeit bills. So, Matthew Jones, my dear friend, you're an amazing actor. We've known each other for many years. You've been on the podcast before, but I wanted to have you back. But I'm going to do something a little different this time. I want you to tell our listeners about you, Matthew Jones, actor. I mean, I could read through your bio, which is quite extensive. You've been in like 70 different TV shows and movies. You've been a working actor for many, many years. And I'm really going to want to get into a couple of things that we talked about pre-interview, Yellowstone and Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I'm very enthusiastic <laughs> about. So Matthew, tell the audience about yourself, and then we'll get into a conversation about your latest work on screen, big screens and small. It'd be great to talk about that. I think that's going to lead into the conversation pretty well. And I appreciate your intro because it's been good. Like you said, almost 70 TV shows. That puts me in a weird level, right? Because... I'm certainly not a household name. And now that we're into this strike, yeah. for those of us who are at that level where acting is the primary source of income, not the only, but the primary, yeah, but not so big that's easy to ride these things out. It's very much one of those, well, this is how I pay rent with a couple of cushions here and there and a couple of side hustles here and there. So it really falls differently. If I worked less frequently, it would be a frustration like, oh, I'm trying to build this thing and I don't have these opportunities where I can start to really build this thing. And that's also very, very real. But if I were like a season six series regular on something and I have, you know, if I'm smart with my money and have a good little cushion and whatnot, I don't have to worry outside of the frustration of not being able to work. Yeah. And I'm glad you're bringing this up because I think for a lot of people listening, they don't understand what the implications of the strike are, not only for the writers, of course, but others in the industry who in solidarity or because the production simply can't go on because the writers aren't available, that it really impacts the work. I mean, that's very obvious. And thus your personal bottom line. It's a huge deal for the industry. And I've been talking to a lot of journalists about the state of the movie industry. And everyone correctly says, well, all the movies are written that are coming out this year. And certainly for the next few months, there's plenty of movies on the calendar. But the strike still impacts the production of TV shows, shows that may highlight marketing and PR about these movies. And then, of course, streaming services rely on a big churn of content where the writing is much more real time. You need a much more steady stream of scripts coming through. You know, each movie may take months to make and get out to produce and then market and distribute. So, yeah, from an actor's point of view, it's obviously got to be a big impact on your life right now. We're right in the middle of it. So it is. My knee jerk reaction is that it's absolutely worth it because. One thing you realize pretty quickly as an actor is you are only as good, by and large, as what's on the page. Not only does it take great writing to create anything great, it's actually easier. Mm -hmm. Like if you send me two scripts right, and I need to self-tape for both, 
And one is really well written, but requires a lot of emotional agility or it's like what we would typically describe as that's going to be a difficult scene. And the other's poorly written, but really straightforward and, <laughs> you know, a bunch of flat exposition to spit out, you know, for a page and a half. Yeah. The poorly written stuff is infinitely harder and it's harder to remember. It's harder to memorize. I prefer to say learn by heart. Yeah, that makes sense, though. In any situation where you're reading a script of any kind, even scripts I've written for myself to do like a state of the industry, right? I'll be stumbling through it. And I'm like, this is terrible what I wrote. I need to reconfigure it for speech, right? Because sometimes on the written page, things look great, right? And then you start reading and the cadence and the way that you're performing it come into play. And if it's a word salad that doesn't really work, that's one thing. So you're right. The writers have to be given the utmost respect. Yes. It's their words. I mean, you're emoting it. It's within your personage that you're delivering that. But it's those words on the script page that define what you're doing. Literally. Yeah. As you look at the stuff as an actor, like a couple of years ago, we had the crew and the crew really stuck to the guns as far as getting better conditions. And there are certain things that just around the industry, everybody knows. Everybody knew that the crew deserves a better shake. Worked to death. You know, call around times. You're going to work 12 hours and you then three hours later, you get to start another 16 hours. You look, that kind of stuff where it's like, this is not how humans function. Right. So we kind of keep an eye on one another's status, you know, and it's one of those things. It's like writers deserve a lot more than they're getting. And I'm not trying to paint studios and producers as bad guys. I mean, this is such a collaborative thing. Of course. Like I said before, two years ago, like this is all equally weighted spokes on a wheel. You know, good luck getting any of this done without one of these spokes. The, the wheel's not going to roll right. Right. But we know that streaming is a profitable way for them to be operating. That's why they switched over to it. That's why the whole industry is pushing toward this new way of doing things. One, that's what consumers demand. But two, it's like they're finding economies, et cetera, with that. So the notion like they use with DVDs and VHS, we never caught up. Writers, directors really too, and actors never caught up as far as what would have been anywhere near fair share. Right. The compensation for the work. And of course, with streaming and other types of delivery systems that the technology maybe didn't exist many years ago when a lot of the strategies or the protocols for how everyone gets paid changed. And even during the pandemic, I remember when some of the movies went straight to streaming, they were supposed to go into a theater, so they didn't earn the dollar, the theatrical dollars. You know, there were some very famous lawsuits about that with some very famous talent. Yeah. And that's really interesting because case law now has to be rewritten in a sense and this is true in many different areas of the legal system or in case law, that new technologies and the new way of delivering things changes the pay structure or even how it's perceived and where these revenue streams are coming from impacts that. So, you know, these readjustments happen a lot, but yeah, definitely it's better for everyone to get this resolved. And it's a tough situation for the industry because like you said, without the words on the page, what are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? It's a totally different situation. It'd be like piloting a plane without a map, right? Or without navigation, how are you going to do that? So I'm glad we addressed that. And you and I and everyone hope gets resolved to everyone's satisfaction sooner than later. I want to go now and talk about some of your recent work. I, I recently saw you on SWAT on TV. <laughs> it's really funny, Matthew, because for me, I know you as a friend. When I see you on TV, I'm like starstruck, like, oh my God, there he is. And it was, and you did such a great job. You have such a great screen presence. And I'm not just saying that because you're my friend and we walk around the Beverly Hills Hotel, like we own the place. But, uh, but, because, uh, 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 
but because you're really great and I want you to focus on or whatever you want to talk about, whether it's Yellowstone, curb your enthusiasm, I feel like is something a lot of people want to know the secret sauce to that show. Maybe you can't give up all the secrets, Larry David and you know the producers might get mad, but you were on that Yellowstone, SWAT, NCIS. I mean, countless TV shows, you know, you said you're not a household name at the top of this, but people recognize you. I've been with you when people recognize you. So you're out there, man. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. You kind of have the best of both worlds, really. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I love it. It doesn't happen often, but I love it when it happens. It's it's a reminder as an actor that you're getting traction is really what it means to me. It's like, okay, this is building, you know, it's like I had done scandal like in like peak scandal times. Right. And at that point, that was just a one-liner, but I happened to be the guy that arrested Huck, right? It was a big deal plot-wise. <laughs> and I got more people recognizing me from that one-liner than I had done with the guest stars and other top five shows. Like, I guest starred on CSI Miami. Didn't get really recognized in the street by anybody. <laughs> After a scandal, people were accosting me in the street. It's like... How could you arrest Huck? You know he's innocent. You know he didn't do it. I'm like, I love that. It's so real to people. As far as like just in character where you come from, like I can't, it's really just acknowledging parts of yourself that are already in you. You know, it's like a lot of people who know me from different places really can't believe I exist in other places. Like there's the Matthew that you know. There's the Matthew, you know, I'm on the board of a children's charity called Reading to Kids. And we go out the second side of the month to read to like kindergarten through fifth graders. Oh, that's wonderful. I also worked 18 years in nightclubs and a lot of those years as security. And the people who knew me from Reading to Kids were like, I can't believe you work security and you have the stories to tell of things that you've done to tell. Yep. And the people I work security with were like, they let you read the kids? <laughs> yeah, you're wearing different hats in different situations, right? Exactly. It's what's brought out of you. Like, it's what's the environment, what's being brought out of you, your relationship to your surroundings, and your duty in that surroundings. And I hate saying your motivation, but it's also your motivation in any particular surroundings. When I first started in this business, with the first, like, almost 15 roles or so, I alternated between uniform cop and paramedic. Like, it was almost like a tick-tock thing. Like, at one point, a friend of mine, because I had just booked a cop role on something, and my friend Carlos Butler puts on my Facebook page, just like, I guess next time you're going to be playing a paramedic. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, you know, 11th hour, I'm a paramedic, wheeling a body out of my... It's like, but you lean into these things, you know? If the industry sees me as, you know, what I call badge and gun, uniform, authoritarian, Alphabet suit, FBI, CIA, ATF, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. First off, I love that kind of work. I like, I feel very comfortable. Well, not cowardly comfortable, but I artistically, I feel comfortable. Like I know how to navigate from here and add layers and do that. The fact that I like my quote unquote typecasting, which is dissipated a bit, is just a blessing. Well, and if you're working, so be it, right? And if you're a character actor or an actor who wants to work and a working actor, Hey, you go from role to role and in some cases are, are similar. I would think you have a great attitude about that. Not like that's a bad thing, but you're happy to be working. And if that's your, like you said, typecasting, although I think obviously you could do anything in comedy or romantic stuff and action. Talk about that a little bit, how that's changed. So you're saying over the years, you're going beyond those, would you say badge and gun and yeah, uniform type roles? Yeah, that has changed significantly beyond the badge and gun. I think that's a function of a couple of things. One, I think it's also a function of getting older. Uh-huh. And now a different spectrum. Like I recently had an audition as a corrupt judge, which would have been hugely fun. You know, fathers that are maybe losing their children in the hospital or there's a broader and deeper well that I'm able to explore. And 
it's not just getting old. It's also just as you build a resume, you're just trusted with bigger and more things, which is probably one of my favorite evolutions so far, as far as my career. I love the fact that you got everything from, you know, cause SWAT was sergeant of major crimes, which is a very Matthew role. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> I can't unfortunately say much about who I am on Curb Your Enthusiasm, but it's certainly not that. Right. Yeah, I would imagine not. What can you tell us about Curb? Perfect segue. What was that like? Because everyone loves that show. I love it. I can never get enough of it. I'll go back and watch it over and over. And you never feel like you're watching the same show twice because it's presumably unscripted or ostensibly unscripted. But I'm sure there's a lot more structure to it than it looks. But they make it look easy and effortless on that show. Yeah, I'll tell you. But last year ended with the two, in a good way, but the two most frightening bookings I've had so far in my career like first was curb your enthusiasm and what was frightening for that for me was its improv nature there's obviously there's a structure to the story but as actors you're kind of working without a net so to speak organically right and just and, and yeah. just bring the story along and you know i did the training center in second city back in chicago 22 years ago it's been a while for that kind of improv and it was something like i loved improv i felt like i was was good at it but it didn't stop me from sweating bullets yeah walking onto that set and I can say everybody was so welcoming, so supportive, and also so talented that as soon as the first take even started, I was at ease. I went from flop sweating to at ease just because, I mean, that that's such a well-oiled machine. Shot in LA, obviously, shot on location. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Brentwood, which is like the most Larry David neighborhood kind of that whole show is like it's i feel like they, they keep it within a few blocks i love it I'm like you guys you don't want to travel out at all just keep it right here um keep it local yeah keep it very local it's such a well-oiled machine and at some point like any other acting job you do the work you ask yourself the questions you fortify this this character you make your choices but then when you show up to set you have to be ready and willing and you're going to let it all go mm -hmm. like you've done your right. work but again i go back to this notion of collaboration it's one of my favorite things about this business at some point you just throw it all out and you just rely on your scene members yeah and they rely on you and together you just kind of you tell the story with a team like that. Like I watched it, so I'm wondering, how's anybody keeping a straight face? <laughs> yeah, how do you not break character? Yeah. <laughs> that's got, maybe that's the hardest part. It really is, because I'll tell you, a lot of takes, we didn't. There were a lot of takes <laughs> where somebody would just laugh and it's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then you back up a bit. You know, you can't really start over because it's improv. So it's like, it's, it's a very awesomely organic thing. I think people would be find it fascinating to be a fly on the wall to just watch that show, how it's crafted, because it's kind of a miracle in a lot of ways. It really is. There's not much like it out there. I mean, that's a very rare combination of talent. Also, the whole conceit of the show that it is Larry David, but it's a meta version of himself, and it works so well. And again, they, it looks easy, like, oh, it's just a day in the life of Larry David and his friends and circle of friends and family. And yet, like you said, when you walked onto the set, and is that an early call? Is that get to Brentwood? And how does the whole day go in terms of that? I want the inside scoop, Matthew. Yeah. How does this work? Because we... We don't know. We don't get... Most shows are pretty early calls, and that one is no exception. The particular situation also mandated, like, this is happening in the morning. Mm -hmm. There ended up being three scenes that we shot over two days. When, once you start shooting it, it goes by pretty quickly, just because of the nature of what you're doing. There's almost equal time kind of sit 
prep, meditate, and then go execute, and then go home, <laughs> and come back, you know, rinse and repeat. Yeah. It was such a funny, like, I consider that show to be the pinnacle of comedy right now. Like, sure, pick a comedy show that I think is more influential. Good, I'll wait, right? It's like... There was there was a lot of surrealism in my head about it, even as we were doing it. Like I, there was a distinct moment where I'm standing there and, and Larry David is screaming in my face, you know, at at, at 80 percent volume. I'm on something he's upset about. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> yeah, it's real. It's just like I got I am in the spot. I'm shooting the thing, and this oh, it was so much fun and then you know we did something else and jb smooth was also in the, in the second scene oh yeah and that was love I mean, they're all we're talking about people who are hilarious before during and after any take <laughs> so the whole day you go home with a sore face <laughs> and a sore throat from like smiling laughing but then kind of do your thing uh-huh uh-huh and, and talk about stepping out because you know you haven't seen a lot of my confrontational side like <laughs> it's a 28 minute confrontation right i mean that's kind of what this show that's true that's really what it is oh it's so funny so much fun that is so awesome now when will that be airing do we do i'm we know? guessing sometime in october and the funny thing is i think that's a pretty safe kind of estimate but for you know going back to, to strike stuff and i didn't want to spend too much time here but right right a lot of the shows that's supposed to start in x month y month the fall the winter we just don't know because you know, a lot of shows that were supposed to have started by now that haven't started. That's right. There's a bit of upheaval. And let's not forget that we're going from this negotiation into the directors and the actors kind of at the same time. There you go. I mean, I don't envy the producers union right now because they have, it's like being a prize fighter and having three title fights in one month. That's well said. It's like, you know, yeah. It's like, you get to fight Canelo this day, then you fight Bivol, then you then you fight Benavides on a third day. It's like it's like this is not how I'm sure they, they love it. That's a very daunting lineup uh, <laughs> yeah. of situations to come. And again, we really hope it gets resolved quickly. You know? Yeah, I hope so because we can't do a hundred days of foolishness. I don't think anybody wants that. But at the same time, I think, and this is you know, I'm going to run the risk of whatever. I I think emotionally. Writers and, and actors and directors are prepared for it emotionally. And I think studios are kind of prepared for it financially and that, the, you know, they know. They knew last year what the schedule was for negotiations this year. So as far as inventory or cash, et cetera, it's like I'm sure they have a point beyond which they don't they really don't want to go. But yeah, I'm sure. I'm guessing. I, I'm not an insider by any means. But I'm guessing that they have a decided amount of time for which they're like, they're prepared yeah. for X number of weeks for this to go before they start. I appreciate your insights on that. I think most of us don't really have that kind of insight because we're not all on that side of the camera. We're not, I mean, I'm sure people listening are, but for me, it's very, very key to get your insights on that. I'm glad we're talking about it right now. And then we're going to, we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes, but let's talk about uh, Yellowstone a little bit. I know we've talked about it before, but I want to get your thoughts on uh, what it was like to work on that show and any other shows that you're working on that you want to point out or that you had a great experience or any anecdotes or who you loved working with. Feel free. This is your forum, Matthew. I just, I love hearing you talk about <laughs> this side. I mean, I'm behind a computer. You're in front of a camera. So I want to hear your insights. I have to talk about both Yellowstone and SWAT as far as other things I Please. love. Because uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm was a dream come true. So much fun. I'm going to talk about SWAT before Yellowstone because SWAT I shot not two weeks after Curb Your Enthusiasm. 
And it went from one professionally frightening and awesome situation <laughs> to an equally frightening and awesome situation. So SWAT was fantastic. And that, you know, I'd done guest stars and a lot of stuff, you know, but that, that leap from co-star to guest star was a tough one. But I feel like that's, you know, definitely that's where I've been. But this was bigger than where your typical guest star. And for anyone listening that doesn't really necessarily like a co-star is what you might consider an under five on a sober, you know, that kind of thing. A co-star is a character who's there moving the story along, you know, doesn't have a ton of lines, but, you know, still an important part, but just uh, a, a bit of a smaller one. A guest star is a pretty wide range. You know, it doesn't have to be a massive role, but it's typically pivotal to the plot. A lot of the guest stars I've done have two, like, really meaty scenes to them, right? It's like the scene here, and then this character comes back later in the episode. We have this scene here, and we wrap up this element of the story. You're a key you're yeah. key to the story, moving the story along, integral to it. Yes, you are integral to the actual plot. For SWAT, you watch the episode, there were like eight. And it's not something that I, I don't think viewers really notice. Like, wow, this guy's back again. He's really important. That's not how viewers view it. Yeah. But from my standpoint, it was so intimidating to me because, you know, that's almost a guest lead. Like, it's a different... Well, you were all over that episode that I saw. <laughs> I was shooting pictures of you on screen. I was taking pictures of my TV screen and sending it. Like, you didn't know you were on. Oh, really? I'm on? No. People took better pictures than I did. So the ones I used on social media came from other people's TVs a lot. I was like, there we That's go. That's great. But I ended up particularly, because we shot that episode over a two-week period. That was like the first week. Then we broke three weeks for the holiday, then finished that episode later on. Mm -hmm. And for that first day, I was actually so nervous that I found myself talking to myself like over in the corner in between takes just kind of reminding myself yeah you belong mm -hmm. no they picked you because you're good at this it's the same work just more of it just there you go just do what you're supposed to do but you know imposter syndrome and insecurities kind of set in when things feel bigger and like okay okay i gotta deliver gotta deliver it's like you just gotta show up and do your job they're six seasons into this thing it's like you're not gonna fail they're not gonna fail it's gonna be great just do what you know you gotta do but it's funny if you start getting in your head, inflating like these fears and insecurities, <laughs> the extra work you have to do. Like, I hope they were happy with it. I ended up being a lot happier. Like, I was nervous. I was like, oh, maybe I was too stiff. Maybe I screwed this up. I thought it was it was it was fine. It was good. It was great. And the episode was really good. It was a cool episode. The whole thing was great. You were fantastic in it. But I can imagine. Yeah. Like you said, on set, I mean, look at. If you think about it, Matthew, most people's biggest fear is public speaking. Now, acting isn't exactly public speaking, but in a way it is. Oh, yeah. And especially on a TV set where you've got crew, people waiting, people working, people getting paid. And 14 million people that are going to watch and have an opinion about <laughs> no it. No pressure there. Yeah, no that, pressure. that doesn't really escape you for things like this. You know, I think actors who've been series regulars for this and that, I'm sure they've long since ditched a lot of that. But for me, 21, 22, 23 years in, I still have some of these bouts. Not always. It's funny. It was equally it's such a cool opportunity, but I didn't feel any of these same fears on Yellowstone. Why do you think that is? I'm really not sure because both crews, both teams equally welcome me. Like you talk about sets. I really, I'm dying to go back to. I'm dying to go do more Yellowstone. I'm dying to do more SWAT because everybody was, I felt trusted and I knew I trusted everybody around me. Like it was just a kind of a beautiful thing. I think the problem was me as far as just getting nervous and having to do the extra work to convert that energy into something I could use for that particular plot line. It worked because, you know, I had an, an undercover agent that was in serious jeopardy and I needed their help to get him out. My nervousness, it was warranted. And it was easy to kind of <laughs> translate. I don't know what it was about Yellowstone that felt less nervous to do. 
And I think I had to do so much work beforehand because I knew for the fourth season, I knew I'd be working with Kevin Costner. And that was November 2020. So there was like a two-week quarantine before we even shot that. So I had two weeks to sit in a hotel room and be like, oh, get over yourself. Is that good or bad to have extra time to think? In that situation, I felt it was good. The backdrop of the world was in such chaos. Like we're talking 2020, November. There was a lot of fear. And there was the election. Oh, that's right. I was in Montana for the election. So there's just a lot of chaos. Yeah. Plus, I was in that same hotel room for my 50th birthday. Whoa, what a what a month you had. Yeah, and... that was just like, so November 2020. November 2020. Um, <laughs> and it was good to just be able to isolate, focus. And I think that's part of why I was able to, even under those circumstances, just walk in and do my job with an excellent, talented, and welcoming team. So that helped me when I went back for season five. I felt like, you know, it's not like they know me, but it's like, I've been here before. I know this team and yeah, and I, I, I felt trusted, particularly when they bring you back. You really feel trusted. Like, let's bring Deputy Larson back and incorporate him here. So that ended up being, although I did have a moment because, oh, it's already aired, so I can, I can give some detail, but the scene takes place at night and I have a confrontation with two of the fan favorites, with Beth and Rip and that. Oh, really? Okay. And because it was a night shoot, we were shooting to like four in the morning. So when I first arrived on set, we're pulling up and I'm thinking it's just going to pretty much be the three of us, maybe a couple other people. But because of the plot line, like all of the cowboys were there and Teeter and everybody else, they had the entire crew lining up to participate in the scene. And the, most of them weren't speaking. They were just there because they would have to be there because of what was going on. But when I pulled up and saw like what felt like three quarters of the entire cast of Yellowstone all lined up. Like outside of the ready bar, to go because I made them stand there. I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> a little bit of that's now. amazing. Right. Now you got to go get in Beth and Rip's face. Have a have a good night. Yeah, with us. in front of all these people, the crew, the cast, and they're all there. You thought it'd be like a skeleton crew or something, right? Yes, exactly. And it certainly night was shoots, not. You know, usually they they do go and they don't put you know a lot of series regulars don't get put through a lot of stuff like that. But you know, Yellowstone man, they they just tell that story with as much detail and excellence as they can. So they had everybody, they had so many people out there. There are very few people on the Cowboys side that weren't out there. That's amazing. Till four in the morning. I was like, wow. I was like, this is, everyone is super committed. You know, it's hard work, man. I mean, you realize, and I have uh, filmmakers in my family, actors in my extended family, and, you know, people think, oh, it's so glamorous, and everybody wants, you know, thinks it's something anyone could do. It's not. Some of the hardest work you'll ever do. I remember uh, my brother-in-law, who's a filmmaker, I remember I had a one speaking line in his movie uh, <laughs> called Cold Water, and I was there from, like, 7 in the morning till late at night. The whole crew was there craft services, every, I got a real taste of what it's like to be on a set. And I did have one speaking line. And I remember I was over by a file cabinet, a call to action, and I had to go over and say my line. I was so nervous. But then once I did it, I felt so good about it. But I had a, and I've always had a respect for filmmakers and creatives and actors and the folks in front of and behind the camera. But I really got a taste of how much work it is. I mean, it can be fun because it's exciting. It's a emotional and creative endeavor. So that makes it different than, let's say, building widgets or yeah. something like that. But it's serious business. Even on comedies, you know, they always say comedy is serious business. Yes. It's all serious. And you got to show up and you can't screw up because everybody else is counting on you. There are no small parts and there are no small 
jobs on a movie set. So it's really important. I love getting your insights. What do you have? I mean, I know we have the, the strike, of course, in the picture. What's up next for you or where can we find you? Matthew Jones, you're, you're so brilliant. I just I could talk to you all day. <laughs> There's many other subjects I want to talk to you about. Insights into the the acting process, the the onset stories and that kind of thing. We'll do that another time. Yeah. Yeah. I know your game for that. What is coming up for you and what can we look for you in uh, coming up? Uh, the next thing would be the airing of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, and I, I apologize that I haven't been able to say much about it. I don't want you to get in trouble. You yeah. you cannot divulge anything about Curb. And I totally get that. I, I appreciate what you told us already. Yeah. Yeah. So then they're, they're serious about it. I mean, I'm not really... I, Everyone's comfortable talking about the process. I mean, everybody, sure, kind of knows like the structure of it. That will be the next thing. Again, that's going to be October. Aside from that, I'm hoping, you know, just from a financial standpoint, I'm hoping that the reruns and residuals kind of help carry the day. Yeah. Until things get back up and running. Of course. There was a really cool kind of surge of really desirable things I was able to read for a couple of weeks ago, you know, before this this all started. If that level of activity is going to continue once this ends, like I'm really, really excited for. It. And that's one of the interesting things about this business is the idea that nothing's going to last. You know, this too shall pass is good. It, it's for the good and the bad things. When times are really tough and then something like that happens and these opportunities pop up, it just kind of reminds you that like a lot of your goals are just an email and a phone call away. You know, you get email, you like read for this and then you get the calls like, hey, they made us an offer on this. And also not to get lazy when things are going really well, because it's like this too shall pass. It's like SWAT was so far the biggest single booking of my career. And right now I'm probably I'm looking to jump deep into side hustles, you know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, boom, I'm boom. It's like, yeah, don't, don't, don't think you're sprinting because, you know, you just tripped on a rock. Matthew, it's never boring, right? It's <laughs> never boring. <laughs> what? Yeah. All right, cool. I'll take the small job for a while until, until things kind of pop up coming off your biggest thing. I think actually when I hear you, I think you should be talking to young actors, giving them advice. Although I think in some ways you have to learn by doing and you've done yeah. that, but I really appreciate your insights. I'm probably your biggest fan. Maybe not. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> others are even bigger fans of yours and I'm, but I'm part of the fan club, the Matthew Jones fan club. I will say you are indubitably one of my favorites for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. And we'll, we'll have to get together soon and yes. and do the Beverly Hills hotel circuit again, which how we went to a, I, <laughs> We went to an event a few months ago and we had so much fun after the event, just walking around there. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to tell your wife, I'm sorry, but I am your permanent plus one. There you go. She'll be happy with that. That's cool. But Matthew Jones, thank you for being on my comm score. Many screens, big picture podcast. We really did get the big picture today with you, Matthew. I look forward to seeing you soon on screens, big and small, but also in person. So yes. thank you for being on the show today. It's an honor. It's a complete honor. Thank you so much. 